Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Today, uh, because I guess I can't talk about Scream enough, I'm going to continue with something I didn't get to touch on in our recent Scream Queens episode. But it was triggered by a headline I saw after I was researching this, and of course, after you research an episode you get a million things about what you just talked about. And you're like, oh, this would have been nice to have earlier. But I saw a headline of this article. It's a philosophical horror question I wanted you to weigh in on, Samantha. Can a final girl ever be happy? According to the movies I've seen, Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem so. Because either they, A, have the little bad guy pop up at the very end when you think that things are happening. Right. Uh-huh. Or B, they become evil themselves somehow. <laughs> right. Right. Or they die. Yes. <laughs> or that. Scene. Or that. I mean, this it's very, as we discussed in the Scream Queens episode, it is very, or it can be, it's not always, a look at trauma. And that's not to say you can't, like, be happy and have trauma. Um, and we've talked about that a lot. There's, you know, ups and downs, good days, bad days. But I just thought that was interesting. And I will get to the point that this article was making in a second because there is a piece I didn't touch on that I wanted to about Scream 3. (laughs) (sighs) Yes. Which is, by the way, I think I made this point. This movie is not really well acclaimed. Like, it's... It doesn't get a lot of praise from, like, fans or critics. A part of that is generally believed to be that the scream queen in question, the final girl in question, Sydney Prescott, is actually not in a lot of it. <laughs> and that was because at the time, Nev Campbell was filming another movie, and she only had 20 days on set, I think. And also, she was wearing a wig, which I didn't know. Uh, anyway, despite that, a lot of people do think that the ending for her was a good ending, that 
Because she'd mostly spent the movie being isolated and not talking to anybody and saying, like, you know, killers can't kill what they can't find or whatever. So she was just by herself and experiencing this trauma by herself. It ends with her walking the dog in a bright light and the the gate opens and she leaves it open. And then at the end, the door opens and what would be kind of a classic, like, ooh, is there something behind there? Horror movie thing. But then she sees it and it's just like, it's fine. And she smiles and she's living with, well, I don't know, but that cop guy that Patrick Dempsey played is there and then Dewey and Gail are there. And it's implied that like she's moving on or she's healing. But I, I mean, I think she's rightfully paranoid at this point, but it, it's kind of the message is she's taken a step in her life. Don't they do that with all the movies? Like, it seems like it's ending fine where they're happily going on their way. And then the next thing you know, there's a new murder. Well, that's the question, isn't it? That's the, can the final girl ever be happy as long as there's a franchise? And that was the point this article was making is that if it had ended there, then we could, as the audience, be like, okay, she found some sort of peace or happiness, but these movies are successful. They make another one, the fourth one. Spoilers, more killers coming for her. Like, it doesn't end. I do think that this is an issue with just franchises in general. Like we said, people want to see these characters come back. Um, That's what people are paying to see. That's what people expect to see. But that does mean, especially in these horror movies, there's no real happy ending. It's just, it keeps going and going. (laughs) Again, we could get really in-depth here. We won't about trauma and (laughs) good days, bad days. Happy ending is kind of not really the, the goal. It's more like, can you live with it and be healthy and generally happy? Yeah, and I, I feel like the question of like Michael Myers always coming back or Jason always coming back. How many times can something or someone, which Jason is implied to be a demon, by the way, be blown up? And just come back. On top of that, while I do think the Scream Queen is the foil for the villain, there are plenty of examples where the Scream Queen, like the recent Halloween movies, especially if they are the older generation that we said is like teaching or traumatized, dealing with trauma, are sidelined like Laurie Strode. So -hmm. they're there, but they're to the side. Right. (laughs) And eventually we'll die. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh no scream five don't you do it to me even though i want her to be happy but death is not happy any- oh my god okay um <laughs> so all that to say we talked a lot about final girls in that episode and so we wanted to bring back this episode it was my first episode so please have some patience <laughs> figuring things out but it was about final girls so please enjoy Hey, this is Bridget. Hi, this is Annie. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today, uh, we're talking about one of my favorite things, horror movies. I can already see on your face how excited you are to talk about horror movies. I am so excited. I am a, a grown woman who probably three times a week stays up too late watching horror movies. You would think that's a bit unusual, but actually it seems like a lot of women are watching a lot of horror movies these days. Yes. um, Americans have been watching them, watching horror movies for decades. But in the last year, in 2017, horror films have had particularly big numbers thanks to movies like It, 
or Get Out. And if you take any given horror movie in the U.S., statistics show that women purchased more tickets to it than men, which might surprise you. It is surprising. Yeah. But that doesn't include torture porn movies like Mm. Saw. That is a quick note. Do you like horror movies, Bridget? I like horror movies. Well, first of all, I like all movies. It's, it's You'd be hard-pressed <laughs> to find a movie that I don't like. I'm the person that, you know when you see commercials on TV for big-budget popcorn movies and you think, who would go see that? I'm like the middle America person that's like, ooh, that looks good. <laughs> I'm just happy to be at the movies. When I go to the movies, I'm like, I get my Twizzlers and my Coke, and I'm just, I'm just happy to be there. So... I like movies in general, but I also love bad horror movies, kind of a thing that I enjoy watching. Oh, me too. Yeah. Can we have a sminty horror movie night? Yes, please. Movie night, but... horror, horror movie meetup? Yes. Ooh. There, there are some that I would love to, like, live stream on here. <laughs> maybe we can maybe we can pull that together. Um, and one reason I found for why women might be seeing horror movies more than men um, is that women kind of have this low-level fear that they're just living with more than men. Are you saying that being a woman is a little bit stressful sometimes, Annie? I'm saying it it might, could be, possibly, maybe a little stressful, Bridget. (laughs) And horror movies are a great way, or at least in my experience, not everyone agrees with me, but for people who enjoy them, and they're a good way to relieve stress uh, in a way that you can't in your real life. It's a fear that you choose, and therefore you can control. And I remember an argument for... Um, why people like zombie movies so much, zombie things, and it's because it reduces the stresses of your life to this one terrible thing, but it does simplify things. <laughs> you you got to survive the zombies. Done. Hopefully. Um, and to quote journalist Brianna Wu, horror movies are a world where money can't save you, privilege can't save you, strength can't save you. So they're kind of... I mean, in a perfect world, they're kind of equalizing in that way. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's sort of this fantasy world where we're all on the same playing field. Um, even though, you know, one of the tropes in horror movies is like, oh, the black person dies first. Yeah. Or, you know, and I think that it's important to recognize the way that tropes play out in movies like this. Because, you know, a lot of people might be saying, horror movies, this is dumb. Why is this a thing we're talking about? But actually, when you look at what we recognize as tropes in these kinds of movies, they can tell us a lot about culture and society and, you know, what we think about women. Oh, absolutely. Horror movies, I think, and I am a fan, but I think they say a lot about society in general. And even though women, we're seeing these movies, but when it comes to behind the scenes, if you look at director, writer, producer roles, so on, women are very poorly represented. Um, They're more likely to work in documentary or drama genres. That's a fun tongue twister. (laughs) Um, And least likely to work in action or horror genres. They accounted for only 12% of those working on horror, according to a 2017 study out of San Diego State University. The film industry in general, off-screen and on-screen, is dominated by men. On-screen, these films are chock full of stereotypes and portrayals of women that are disparaging and negative. And historically, a lot of messaging and tropes, like you were saying, they don't do women any favors. And one of the most prevalent, the topic of today's episode, is the trope of the final girl. So I can't wait to find out more about what exactly this trope is after this quick break. Can I rant for a sec? Please. 
Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. And we're back. So, Annie, horror movie aficionado, <laughs> yes. tell me about The Final Girl. Okay, I would love to. Uh, I believe probably those who are familiar with horror movies. You, you know right away what, what we're talking about with us having, without us having to explain it. But for those that aren't big on the genre, it's the last woman standing in horror movies and specifically slasher films. The final girl is the one to confront the killer or the monster, whatever the thing is, after everyone else has been slain and she survives to tell the tale. She's almost guaranteed to be a virgin, straight, white, Probably brunette. <laughs> um, she's usually chaste, doesn't really drink or otherwise engage in drugs, and is also probably rocking a gender-neutral name. Yeah, Sam or Joe or Alex. Yeah. <laughs> yes. When I was a kid, I always wanted a name like that. I did, too. I wanted Will or Jack. I wanted Billy. Billy. <laughs> That's close to Will. I like that. <laughs> um, and probably masculine, well, not masculine, but masculine-ish hairstyle. The final girl trope got its start in the 1970s, but it wasn't until 1992 that American film professor Carol Clover first coined the term in her book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, Gender and the Modern Horror Film. Clover argued that in order to survive, the final girl had to in some way become more masculine, um, probably by adopting a weapon of the phallic variety. Like a spear? A spear or a knife. Um, Something you stick in someone. Yes. Got it. <laughs> Thank you for the gesture, Bridget. In case, I don't know if you know how it works. That's how it looks when I do it. <laughs> She's making stabbing <laughs> motions towards me. <laughs> go 
totally non-threatening podcast yes, experience. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm totally safe. Clover interprets this as messaging of women needing men or needing to be masculine in order to survive this horrible ordeal they are going through. Laurie from Halloween, a.k.a. Jamie Lee Curtis's character, is one of the first and most pure examples of the final girl. And one of the interesting things about her is that throughout the course of this film, she uses traditionally feminine objects like a knitting needle or a coat hanger as her weapons of choice or necessity, probably is more accurate. Other famous final girls include Ripley from Alien, Nancy from The Nightmare on Elm Street, and even Sydney from one of my favorite horror movies making fun of horror movies, Wes Craven's 1996 film Scream. Okay, so let's talk about Scream because it's one of my favorite movies. She's such a clever example of the final girl where it kind of spins the trope on its head to comment on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I love they were so sneaky about it because um, Drew Barrymore was the biggest star at the time. And if you look at the cover, she's on the front. Like she's prominently, not just on the front, yeah. she's, they're all standing in a line and she's like the first girl in the line, right? Yes. Prominently displayed. Yes. And she fits the, the bill of what you would imagine a final girl is. The movie starts with her, but she dies within the first 15 minutes. She's in the, yeah, she's in the movie for like five minutes. Yeah. And she's it, sober sister yeah. and all the other girls are out <laughs> drinking and partying. So she's like the opposite of final girl, really. Yeah. What's the opposite of final First. First girl. First girl. She was first in the line. (laughs) That, it stuck with me. That was quite the brutal, brutal scene. Uh, And Scream also has a horror movie buff, Randy. And Randy, uh, he even directly speaks to the rules of surviving a horror movie. And a couple of them are never say I'll be back, um, never do drugs or alcohol, uh, for the love that is all, all that is holy in the world, do not have sex. Or show your boobs. Don't show your boobs. Once you show your boobs, you're, you're pretty done. much you may you you pretty much just crawl into a grave, right? Like that's <laughs> it. That's it. <laughs> yep. You're through. Another great example of a subversion of the final girl is 2012's Cabin and Cabin in the Woods. Excuse me. This movie directly addresses the trope too. So there's this vengeful god, which I'm fairly certain is meant to represent the American audience. Um, and the final girl, Dana, she's chaste, she's smart, she's sexually conservative, pale brunette, is given the chance at survival, but only after making sure all of her friends died. And they're on this cabin, cabin in the woods, like trip. Um, and she has to make sure all of her friends die, and she is the final girl. And each of her friends fits the stereotype too, but only after they were forced to fit into them through weird circumstances. So there's the blonde slutty bimbo, the dumb jock, played by Chris Hemsworth. Ooh, he's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) The stoner and the sweet bookish guy. um, That is the final girl's uh, sweetheart, of course. And it's, it's so hard to explain this movie without having seen it. But basically, like, there's this government entity that's watching them through secret, like, security cameras making sure that they fulfill the prophecy of this final god. Is that the plot of the movie? Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen it, full disclosure. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll spoil it for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Well, yeah, it's it's like this weird government thing where there's a god. They have to satisfy the god by meeting this criteria. So the, the sweet girl has to wind up with the bookish guy. Yes. And that's how she sort of say like that's how she 
pleases this this God who is watching above. And does that does that ensure her safety? Does that is that what allows her to get out of the situation? No, she can either have sex or not, and she can either die or not. And it's actually really sad. There's a sad moment where they take bets. The government people watching, like, is she going to have sex? Is she going to die? Like, how is she going to die? And there's a moment where she's getting the crap beat out of her, and they're just watching, like, wondering, is she going to survive? And it's weird because you're, as the viewer, you're in that position, right? You're watching someone, when you're watching a horror movie, wondering, is she going to survive? And it's brutal. It goes on for a long time, and it's the same in horror movies. Um, it is worth it's worth a watch, but it's a strange one. And it also has the the virgin horde dichotomy of Dana, the final girl who is pure and innocent, but she's sexualized. But when she actually has sex, she is looked down upon. She's seen as less than she was. Just like in society. Yeah. Sounds very familiar. Bridget, you're, you're on my wavelength here. Um, and the person overseeing this whole thing, she's called the director. Um, and she's played by Sigourney Weaver, tells Dana that she fulfills the virgin archetype. But when Dana is like, actually, I had sex, you know, uh, the director tells her, we work with what we have. Oh, so it's also kind of a commentary on on these different tropes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't want to spoil it, but definitely check it out if you're interested. It does not sound anything like what I thought it was going to, to be like when he started <laughs> describing it. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the posters, but the posters said things like it was obviously a horror movie just through the decor and the whole feel of it. But it would say, like, if you hear a strange noise, separate. Like the opposite yeah. things of what you should be doing. Yeah, now that I think about it, the trailers and stuff, didn't I didn't understand. Now it makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a horror movie fan, it, it's I very much enjoyed it because there's one part where, like, every horror movie villain ever is on display because it could be they kind of draw randomly what the villain is of what every year they have to fulfill this prophecy. So they have this like case of every horror movie villain ever they could pull from. I like freeze frame it like, oh yeah, that's fame. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, growing up, what villain were you the most afraid of? Oh man. The girl from The Ring, Samara. Oh. I saw that at like right when it came out in theaters and I covered my TV. I unplugged it. I covered it. I unplugged the phone, and I kept getting in trouble with my mom. She'd be like, who's unplugging the phone? <laughs> and like seven days later, I was sitting in my room wide awake. This is the end. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty scary. Mine was Chucky. I'm, oh. st- I'm still unnerved by Chucky. I saw Child's Play in the theater when it first came out. So I was a kid. My parents were the kind of parents who like was like, I'm not paying for a babysitter. I'm bringing all the kids to the theater. <laughs> yeah. You know those, that family where you're like, you brought all the kids? Yep. That was us. Um, but I saw Chucky at a really young age, and my brother loved Chucky, so we had the doll and, like, the poster and all this stuff. Like, he had mm-hmm. Chucky paraphernalia, and oh to, this, to this day, I find it unnerving. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, bothered by it as an adult. Yeah. Uh, that's some staying power, those movies you see as a kid. Another one of mine that we'll be talking about in a little bit is Alien. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's a good one. That took years. When I, when I think about Chucky, I mean, it was obviously, as the movies went on, they were pretty hokey, but they illustrate something that you were just talking about, which is this weird mix between female sexuality mm-hmm. and horror and also like maybe a little bit of camp because as the Child's Play movies went on, they had the one where um, it's Bride of Chucky and it's a, it's a grown woman. I think it's Jennifer Tilly. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. So it's Jennifer Tilly, and she's this sort of, like, 
throaty, voiced, blonde, and she becomes like she has a sexual relationship with Chucky, and they end up having a, a child in this in this later iterations of the film. And again, it's this weird thing where horror movies always present this very unusual image of female sexuality. And, you know, in Chucky, you're like, is she f***ing a doll? Like, what's going on? Yeah. But it's it's interesting how a lot of horror movies always have, like, a sexy scene or something like that that you, it's almost expected and how they display female sexuality in this very weird way. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you could extrapolate that and say that society sees it as that way. Because at, at their core, I think horror movies, they simplify the the norms and taboos of society into if you break these, you will be punished. There are consequences for having sex outside of marriage if you're a woman. There are consequences for doing drugs or alcohol as a not 21-year-old, you know? So I think... That's one of the reasons that I'm glad we're talking about this today is I think you can take lessons from that, or at least it gives you a, a little snapshot of where we are, perhaps, as a society. Um, and going back to Cabin in the Woods for a second, can we talk about Buffy the Vampires? Can we? <laughs> can we ever? <laughs> Buffy is kind of the TV version of the final girl. Week after week, she's the last one after uh, fighting vampires or demons or whatever. Although, fortunately, most of her friends did survive. Um, in the final episode of Buffy, she's speaking to a group of potential successors, potential slayers, and she comments on kind of this whole thing directly. She says, In every generation, one slayer is born because a bunch of men who died thousands of years ago made up that rule. From now on, every girl in the world who might be a slayer will be a slayer. Every girl who could have the power will have the power, can stand up, We'll stand up. Slayers, every one of us, make your choice. Are you ready to be strong? So every girl is an is a final girl in, yes. this, in this iteration. Yes. We all have the power to be the final girl. And I just love the, the line of um, men thousands of years ago made that rule because I kind of think that's what the final girl is. is this, the first scripts about these final girls were written by men and then because they, they sold well, or um, they were popular, they just continued, all those scripts continued to be kind of the same formula. And now that, now that we're kind of mixing it up a little bit and trying different things, we're seeing that other things could work too. <laughs> People might enjoy a different take, perhaps. Yeah, and I think what that really shows is that we're ready for different kinds of storytelling, that we don't have to rely on one trope or one theme just because it was popular or successful. There are all different kinds of different stories that I think people want to see. I mean, look at the success of something like Get Out, which yeah. was very unusual, not quite like any horror thriller movie I've ever seen. Yeah. And people loved it. And so I think that the industry can get very it's kind of stuck in a rut of telling yeah. the same story, the same types of story again and again and again. But then when a story comes and it's not like that, people really pay attention. Yeah. And I think some nostalgia plays a role in that as well, just people remember those movies as a kid and they want to kind of have a, maybe an homage or just that's what they liked, so they want to recreate it and people keep recreating it. But, yeah, I think we we might be ready for something new. And uh, Buffy, before we move on, <laughs> she has another a great quote related to this where her boyfriend of the time, I believe, is saying they were watching a horror movie and he says, I want to know what happens. And Buffy says... Everyone gets horribly killed except the blonde girl in the 90 who finally kills the monster with a machete, but it's not really dead. 
And he says, oh, really? And she says, I don't know. What movie is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, like, you can sort of, if you've seen one, you've seen them all in a kind of way. So she's not wrong. Yeah. There's certainly, at the beginning, I, I usually am like, probably not going to live, probably not going to live. I know there's even a table for, like, percentages oh. based just on um, hair color, skin color, what they do. Well, that's like this movie House of Wax. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. that? Yeah. <laughs> so in that that movie when it came out, this was in the heyday of Paris Hilton. That yeah. seems like forever ago, but whatever. It wasn't that long ago. That movie has a perfect example of a of a final girl where it's the brunette girl. She's got to have a name like Sam or Joe. She probably doesn't, but like she, yeah. you know, she she probably does. Like don't <laughs> don't write in if she doesn't, but I think mm-hmm. she does. She wears like in the beginning of the movie, she gets like deer guts on her so she has to change her clothes and so she's wearing male clothes for most of the movie because her clothes get destroyed and so her brother gives gives her like his tank top that happens to be very sexy by the way of so it's a, it's a men's shirt but like somehow luckily sexy. it just falls perfectly I mean thank god um, so she's the kind of chaste brown haired somewhat masculine you know uh, clearly being set up to be the final girl Paris Sultan on the other hand you know she's gonna die. Yeah. As soon, like before you even see the movie, you, you know she's gonna die. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, they're definitely gonna kill her. She's blonde. She has like a sexy scene with her boyfriend in the movie. She's in an interracial relationship. She wears a pink tracksuit throughout most of the movie. Uh, she's kind of presented as the one who's supposed to be vapid or fast. And her death scene is gruesome. She gets a like a rusty pole through her head, and you can tell that the filmmakers are presenting this as a gratuitous death scene, yeah. almost that, like, you know, you guys know you came to watch Paris Hilton take a, a metal pole to the head. Like, it almost seems to be, the gaze seems to be very gratuitous as yeah. if the audience is waiting to see Paris Hilton die a, a bloody, painful death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something we're definitely going to come back to, and it's just a, a weird kind of thing when you're shown this very violent death and you're obviously supposed to like take pleasure in it that's not why I like horror movies <laughs> but um, I guess I guess that's something other people enjoy um, if we're if we're talking about the history of this where did this come from um, like we were saying earlier you could argue that most horror movies exist to scare people <laughs> into following a certain set of norms and the final girl, I would say is no exception. They kind of serve as the everyman or every woman. She's tough, resilient, and you root for her. I, when I was thinking about this, I'm, I was wondering if maybe she's the least common denominator of, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but she's the simplest way to get people to root for someone to survive. Most people can get on board with this person, this kind of watered down, <laughs> safe Character. Yeah, she's not out there showing her boobs. And yeah. Oh, heaven forbid. <laughs> heaven forbid, Bridget. All the other victims, like we were saying, you can point to why they died in terms of sort of a moral majority outlook, um, the vices they indulge in, the mistakes they made. Um, horror movies, all about punishing, especially young people, I would say. And when this trope emerged in the 1970s, the U.S. was in the midst of all kinds of political sexual, and economic unrest. As feminism was rising, so was the backlash to it. And the common interpretation of slasher picks is summarized by, I would say, this quote from um, student of all things horror, Robin Woods. 
The violence against women movies have generally been explained as a hysterical response to 60s and 70s feminism. The male spectator enjoys a sadistic revenge on women who have begun to refuse to slot neatly and obligingly into his patriarchally... (laughs) Hard to say. Yeah, patriarchally, there we go, predetermined view of the way things should naturally be. In a male-dominated culture where power, money, law, and social institutions are controlled by past, present, and future patriarchs, women as the other assumes particular significance. The dominant images of women in our culture are entirely male-created and male-controlled. Women's autonomy and independence are denied. Onto women, men project their own innate, repressed femininity in order to disown it as inferior. In general, the teenagers are punished for promiscuity, while the women are punished for being women. Well, that's just like what this film scholar Linda Williams says. She says, The horror film may be the rare example of a genre that permits the expression of women's sexual potency and desire and associates this desire with the autonomous act of looking, but it does so only to punish her for this very act, only to demonstrate how monstrous female desire can be. And I have this great example in my head of this very weird horror movie that I I saw as a child called Jack Frost. Have you seen it? I have not seen that one. Okay, so this is going to be a little bit like your Cabin in the Woods explanation. So if you haven't seen it, it's very difficult to explain. But essentially, it's a movie that takes place during Christmas time, and a serial killer is killed in the snow by being doused with some sort of chemical or acid, and his, like, DNA gets into the snow. You know how horror movies work. Yeah, sure. Horror movie logic. Don't don't overthink it. Okay. He then comes back to life as a snowman, like a murdering snowman. And so because he's a snowman, he has the ability to, like, melt and refreeze, so melt into water, then refreeze into into a snowman. Uh Uh-huh. And... Shannon Elizabeth, who you might remember from American Pie, Uh in one scene, she's taking a bath. And I think she might be touching herself in the bath. And the snowman, this sounds like I'm making it up, but if you've seen it, you know I'm not. And go watch it, and you can be like, you were accurate. He melts into water, goes into the bathroom, becomes the bath water that she's in. Oh, no. And then he basically violates her with his carrot nose. And that's how she's killed. And so it's interesting because the scene is shot in such a way that's exactly what this film scholar Linda Williams is explaining, where you are watching like a beautiful woman in a bathtub, you know, enjoying her own sexuality and her own sexual desire, sexual potency, whatever. And immediately after that, she is killed in the most gruesome, dehumanizing way. And it's played for laughs in the movie. And so within the universe of this movie, the expectation of us, the audience, is you saw this beautiful woman having a sexual moment alone. You were sort of spying on her, and now she's dead in this horribly dehumanizing way. Isn't that a riot? You know, it's sort of yeah. it's sort of exactly what she's saying, that because Shannon Elizabeth was shown within the confines of this film being a sexual person, that we, the audience, one, get to kind of leer at that, and two, get to watch her die in a terrible way because of that. Yeah. Yeah. You could almost say that it's like, and I've seen this in other non-horror movies too, but um, just things like uh, female sexuality or um, even periods, and Bridget knows I have a whole theory about, theory about this, um, are seen as monstrous, or at least they're kind of like symbolized this, this scary, monstrous thing. Um, and horror movies are just a perfect... <laughs> If you analyze them, if you overanalyze them, perhaps, like I do. Um, and if we go back to the 70s, and this is one of my favorite examples, uh, uh, in the U.S., 
as women are um, getting more power and exploring our sexuality, so many horror movies proliferated in response. And Alien is one of my faves, even if at the time, at the time I wasn't alive then, but <laughs> when I was a kid, they terrified me, those movies did. I could do a whole mini series on this, on sexual imagery and symbolism and messaging in the Alien series. And I want to. And we should. And we should. <laughs> there are so many symbols of emasculation, of the male fear uh, and anxiety of having to share equal responsibility of childbirth and childbearing. I'm telling you, you cannot see it. This should be a whole series. I want to so bad. I mean, if we if we could live stream watching that, I mean, you'd have to be of age. But <laughs> we need to do a mystery science three thousand viewing of Alien, where it's you and me, the silhouettes of our head, yes. making feminist commentary at the screen. Yes. Ruining it for you forever. <laughs> I love ruining things for people. It's my favorite pastime. I still love the movie. Uh, and it has, it's like interesting to see from that time period kind of what was going on. Another thing to consider is that when you look at how the male characters versus the female characters are killed, there is usually this element of torture or brutality involved in the deaths of the women that is not there and deaths of the men. And key, too, is how the killer, monster, whatever it is, have, what have you, terrorizes the final girl. It's kind of like what you were talking about, Bridget, that like we're expected to kind of enjoy this, like we're set up to enjoy it. But male characters generally get a much more uh, merciful death. Um, and another trope that dovetails with the final girl is called men are the expendable gender. And this is the idea that women automatically have the sympathy of the audience while men don't. Oh, in horror movies, they mow through men like they're not really people. <laughs> they, like, they like mow them down. Yeah, you're kind of like, oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Uh, the Walking Dead's Negan sums it up this way. I don't enjoy killing women. Men I can waste them all the live long. <laughs> I I didn't try to do a Jeffrey Dean Morgan voice there. That's probably for the best. Yeah, probably. I, I want to hear this impression. We can we can take it off air. Okay. We can do perfect. it off mic. Perfect. Uh, I think you definitely see this trope a lot in movies. And I think it goes back to this thing that Em and I talked about once where it's benevolent sexism, yeah. where women are sort of put on the same level as children in terms of their helplessness. And so right. films tend to fall on this idea that, oh, the audience is going to sympathize with the woman I've seen movies where the woman is pregnant but hasn't told anybody and that when she survives, the audience is like, whew, yeah. thank God, she's pregnant, you know? Yeah. I, I definitely think that plays into it, too, that the whole thing where women could be pregnant and that they're more maybe fragile. Um, that, yeah, benevolent sexism is a great way to think about that trope, probably. <laughs> so, Annie, is the final girl, is it a feminist trope in film or no? I would say No. Um, it's still a trope that's written by men and largely for men, I would say. It's a reaction to feminism. Um, but, like, if you look at the use of POV shots of the killer or monster that's stalking the final girl, it demonstrates that we, as the audience, are still encouraged to identify with the generally male tormentor, the, the male force that is punishing or tormenting this woman. Who's probably still masculine. So all this to say, um, I do love horror movies and just good to know the messaging you're receiving from the entertainment you like. And it's not all bad. Right, Bridget? 
That's exactly right. This is actually changing a little bit. Let's talk about some of the ways this is changing for the better after this quick break. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. And we're back. We were just talking about the final girl trope and some of the ways that trope is changing a little bit as we go forward in storytelling and movies and all of that. So one of the reasons why it's changing really has to do with self-awareness. We sort of recognize this trope as audiences, and we kind of want something that's more creative. I think just like with the example we gave with Get Out earlier today, I think we're sort of done with the same old stories that we always see, particularly in horror. And so I think audiences expect something different. They don't expect the same movies that we saw in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And so that's one of the reasons you find this trope not being as prevalent. Yeah. And I will say, thanks to this episode for giving me some of the most fun homework I've ever had. Um, I watched a movie called The Final Girl, which was all about the final girl trope, and it was enjoyable. But I also watched so many movies that sort of play with that trope, a lot of them available on Netflix. Another one of the reasons that this is changing, that we're getting away from that, is that there are more female directors and writers and roles, more female stories. If the final girl is a product of the male gaze, then it seems like the solution is to get more women in the industry. I come back to that as a solution to pretty much everything. (laughs) So even more women in the mix, whether it's The military, professional sports, whatever, it's always going to be better. And so one of the soapboxes I love to get on at at Sminty is more women storytellers, more diverse storytellers, more inclusive storytelling. And I'm happy to see that more women are in the mix telling different kinds of stories. Yeah, yeah, me too. A study out of 2017 from Google and the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media 
found that in all genres of entertainment, men had twice the speaking and scream time, with one exception, horror. Uh, While traditionally that female scream time might have been those of the screaming victim variety, uh, but it has been moving towards more nuanced survivors and protagonists. And um, as someone who has acted in some horror movies, I can say that um, I get so many bad casting calls, but they are, it has become less. I think there is an increased awareness, perhaps out of, to- actually almost absolutely out of totally selfish uh, means, but I'm glad to see it is moving that way. Still, still some work to be done, absolutely. But As always. Yes. So this has been really interesting. As someone who hasn't really spent that much time picking apart the horror movies that I watch, it's interesting to think about how these movie tropes do kind of show us about how women are seen in society. Yeah. And um, I do want to mention some, some examples, some, th- some movies that are good um, examples of how it is changing before, we, before we're done here. Raw from French director... It might take a bit of a strong stomach, but it's good. Um, the Invitation, Babadook, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, and It Follows. They um, All these films have female directors and female main characters, and but they might have a final girl, but she's a more complex final girl. So if you're interested, I believe all of those are on Netflix. And um, as advertisers and studios realize the buying power of, of us ladies, um, the shift towards a more complex storytelling, especially involving women, has started to take place. So that's that's good. That, that makes me feel better as a horror movie fan. I'm excited for that content to be made. I just realized something. As a girl with brown hair, if we were in a horror movie, you might be a final girl. <laughs> just saying. Oh, no. I mean, oh, yes? <laughs> I mean, you're going to live. I'll definitely die. You're going to live. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make a sminty horror movie and we'll we'll flip the tropes all upside down, Bridget. Everyone lives. Everyone lives. It's like Buffy. We'll all be the final girl. I like it. I love it. That's a great feminist message to end on. It is. So, sminty listeners, have you seen this final girl trope playing out in movies that you like? What's your favorite example of a final girl? Let us know. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast, on Instagram at StuffMomNeverToldYou, and we love getting your emails at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it is closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive, and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com adoption dash drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions.
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.